<laughs> Welcome to episode two of Modern Life is Rubbish with me, your host, John Austin. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Um, I hope you enjoyed the first episode. Um, let me know. Um, send me an email or text or, uh, you know, just... Uh, Come up to me on the street and uh, shout at me, or I don't, I don't know how do people, how do people talk to each other anymore? I've literally no idea. Um, so yeah, the first episode was, you know, if you haven't listened to the first episode, please go through it back and check it out. Um, just me talking a little bit about a little bit about my story and growing up uh, back home in Scotland and what I'm trying to do and where I'm at in my head and my life and stuff right now and. So basically the theme of this podcast is me talking to a bunch of people in my life who are really interesting people, people that are killing it, people that have interesting points of view or they're uh, they're doing stuff that I'm interested in. Um, and we're having like, I've, I've recorded like, this is the second episode, but I've recorded about another four episodes and they've all been great so far. So I hope you check this one out and then check the rest of them out because they're all I think they're really, uh, these people on the podcast are really insightful and I think they're, they're, I think, you know, anyone that's, uh, you know, um, trying to like sort their shit out or trying to like, you know, pursue something or be their best self. And I think you may be able to get something from these, these guests because I certainly have. Um, and that's the reason why I have them on the show too. The first guest uh, today is my friend Leonard Chan. Uh, Leonard Chan is a Toronto-based stand-up comic who came into my life a couple of years ago after we were pitched together in a, a comedy roast competition, which I won. Now, not I'm not going to boss, but you know I did. I did. Um, I just say that just to piss off Leonard. Um, I can't even remember what kind of jokes I was making, but I'm sure they were terrible. But let's be honest. Leonard didn't win, so that's the only thing that matters. But since then, he's been crushing me in comedy, so who's going to laugh, laugh here? It's Leonard, for sure. Um, but, you know, uh, Leonard uh, Leonard is someone who started comedy late in life. He started comedy, I think he said, 35 years old, which in comedy terms is late, you know. Um, and we talk about that on the podcast because I started comedy yeah, I think I must have been at 34-ish. And it's a weird thing to want to start anything, let alone suffering as crazy as comedy at such a late age. Um, Leonard was in a slightly different situation from me. He went to university, got his master's, got an engineering degree, started getting good jobs in engineering. So on paper, you know, he had a, the wife the house, the car, the money he had on paper, what seemed like a really good life and a secure job, all the kind of things people want. And for some reason, there was something in him that was just like, no, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. This is something I don't, I'm not passionate about engineering. This is not a career path for me. And he just decided to, he wants to, to do comedy and get into comedy writing via stand-up comedy, which is a very hard profession to get in at any age, let alone, you know, in your mid-30s with no experience whatsoever. And he just decided, fuck it. And fair fucks to him, man, because that takes some balls. Because, you know, I, I I have a... I mean, my life was not as smooth as, as Leonard's life, but I certainly was. Spent most of my 20s searching for something but there was a fear of you know having to have a job and having to have this secure life with a you know a, a mortgage and a car and a so that on paper it looked good and you're not supposed to question anything else but you know whereas Leonard sort of knew that he never really wanted to he always wanted to sort of be a writer I never really knew what I wanted to do and I just but I knew that I that this whole nine-to-five lifestyle that I was leading was not making me happy. And if anything, when I did the most amount of drugs and the most amount of drinking is when I had those on-paper secure jobs. I was not happy. I was, I was miserable. I, I couldn't wait to the weekend, every Friday night. And sometimes it would start on Thursday. I'd just start drinking. 
and get into drugs. And then you just be awake for three or four days, just partying, trying to forget about my life, but not realizing that I had control over what I did. I could just get out of it. But for some reason, just thinking that I, I was stuck in this life, there was no way out. So the only way to get out of it was to get out of my mind on drinking drugs, which is, I feel like that's a lot of people's problems. They don't realize that you, you can actually take charge of your own life and say, no, I'm not willing to do this anymore. I'm unwilling to accept this job. I'm unwilling to accept this relationship. I'm unwilling to accept all the fucking social norms that you're throwing at me right now. Fuck you. Um, and it took me, and I didn't realize this, it took me most, of, actually most of my life to figure this out. I'm only still figuring this out, which is why this podcast exists. Uh, and, you know, even if I'm, no one ever listens to this podcast, at least some part of me is like, you know, I'm doing this because I reject the idea of the nine to five, safe, no creativity, depressed, frustrated, boring, just life that I've seen so many people do and I, I don't want to do and it's not for me. And, you know, I didn't realize, I thought I had to do that life my whole life and I thought that the only way, the only escape was to just, you know, drink and, and then you get, and the problem is you get into your thirties and I, I moved to Canada, I was in my thirties and I think some part of me, I didn't know it then, but I think some part of me, as I reflect, some part of me knew that I didn't want to do the, the, the regular normal life, which by the way, if you're listening, you have that kind of job and you're happy with that, that's fine. But for me, it wasn't, you know, no judgment, you know, but like that wasn't for me. And I just, I didn't realize that I could make a change and I could do something. So I think I just fucked off on a plane to Canada, hoping that somehow something would get better. And and it has now, but, you know, for the first, first four or five years, I got back into that life. I was hanging out with talks to people and, I, you know, and I think it's just the unwillingness to put in the work to yourself to have a better life, but having the expectation that, there is a better life, but not, but not realizing you have to really work at it every single day and really focus in on what it is you want. I didn't realize that, so I get frustrated and I keep drinking, I keep doing the same things. And then once I found comedy, I was like, yep, this is for me, but I have this thing, which I still have. Is like, you know, I started in my mid 30s, I'm going to be 38 next month, and I'm like, am I too old? Because you know, am I too, are you too old? This is the thing about the, the, this is the episode we talk about here is like, am I too old? Are you too old to start anything? Or is it other people's voices telling you you're too old? And I think it's the, the latter for sure, because you're never too old to start anything. Every, and, and the thing is, I say that confidently and I would tell other people that, but for some reason I can't get that in my head myself because, you know, I just hear all these voices of just being like, no, you're too old. You're too old. Don't, don't start. Do something else. Don't be, have a safer life, have a more secure life. You know, it's going to take, you know, it might take 20 years, it might take 30 years. You might never make it. You might never do this. You might never do that. And I'm like, you start going crazy and you start overthinking these things without actually just doing the thing and just doing it well and just putting in the effort. And, you know, one thing we talked about learners is like, now that we are older, if you actually do just, you know, you've had your life, you've had your party time, you've had your fucking around. And what Leonard's doing, which I'm impressed by, which I'm influenced by, which which is why I, I love Leonard and I love hanging out with him, is because he just focuses in on what he wants and he goes, does it, does it, and he's doing it, and he's doing it well. And so we talk about that, about, about the podcast and how he decided one day he just didn't want to conform to that life, much to the disappointment of his parents and, I guess, you know, his, his environment and the people he knew growing up. So it's a very interesting podcast. It's something I still struggle with. I'm still talking to Leonard makes me feel better about myself, but there's still part of me is like, well, you're never too, here's the thing. You're never too old to start something, but if you're fucking about wasting time, which I am, then it's kind of pointless. You know, you're, you're wasting years fucking around, which you don't have anymore. So time Really, time is the one asset that you have, which you have to use well. And this is something I struggle with. And this is something that learners is very good with, So, which is why I have them on the podcast. So, um, so yeah, um, 
I think I've rattled on enough about that. I think uh, if you if you listen to the podcast, you'll see exactly what we're talking about. It's, it's a very interesting conversation. If you're if you're thinking the same thing about your life, your career, you want to you want to make a change. I think like essentially, you just got to do it and just go in all guns blazing, and you don't look back, and you have no fear, and you just go, "This is what I'm doing." And it doesn't matter how old you are or what your circumstances are, you just go, "This is a life for me," and I reject my past life. And I think that's it. And I wish I could take my own fucking advice because if I did, I'd, I'd be killing it right now. But uh, hopefully we, we get there This po- as this podcast progresses. I'm hoping that, you know, we'll see my own progression and evolution. And I hope, uh, you know, you guys get something out of it too. So uh, without further ado, please, uh, please welcome my guest, uh, my first ever guest on the Modern Life is Rubbish podcast, my friend and stand-up comedian, Leonard Chan. Okay, Leonard Chan, you're the first guest on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. How's it going? Good yeah, day? Yeah, good so far. Good so far. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, the reason I uh, getting you on today, uh, so Leonard uh, is, you're 40 years old, right? I know, I just like, <laughs> no, this is the point of the podcast. I know, I'm subtly just getting up. Hope you don't you have women on this show. Yeah, you're, you're an old man, and uh, well, why are you here? Um, no, you started, because uh, this is the thing I've been thinking about myself recently, is I started stand-up late. I, wanted to help. I mean, I was, God, what am I now, 37? So probably, 37 years old. Yeah, 37 oh, years old. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I did not know that. No. Well, you, how long have you known me? Apparently not 37 years. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, how old do you think I was? I thought you were like early 30s, late 20s. Oh, thanks. Yeah. That's, uh, well, you've, aged, you've aged well, all things yeah. considered. <laughs> it's all the drinking. It's the beard. The yeah, beard. no sleeping for a whole century, a whole decade is a good thing. Um, well, yeah, because yeah, one of the things that I sort of battle with sometimes is uh, thinking I'm too old to do comedy and like starting like late because a lot of people in comedy start early twenties. By the time they're our age, they're like 15, 20 years in. They're seasoned pros, mm. and you know, with things with comedy, it's you know, it takes a long time to really get good. And like, yeah. when I think, I, you know, you know, I overthink too much a lot of the time, but like when you think of like, oh, you need to be 15, 20 years in before you're whatever. And you're like, fuck, I'll be 60 or some shit. Right? I know. No, like, that, that is scary, man. Cause I see, I see comics who are like 30 years in and you can see the difference in skill mm. with comics with 30 years in versus comics who are like five, 10, 15 years in. Yeah. I'm just like, oh my God, when I'm 30 years in, <laughs> I'm going to be, yeah, I'm gonna be seventy years old. <laughs> yeah, but maybe like people seem to be living longer these days, so maybe like seventy with the new thirty. You know what I mean? Yeah, like just like yeah, it's okay to be seventy because we figured out the way to live to your hundred and fifty. Yeah, possibly, possibly. But I but I mean I think though people always say this to me, and I think there's a modicum of truth in it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I think they're just being you know, like nice or whatever. But they're like, well, you start late in life, it means you have experience, you have more to to mm-hmm. to pull from pull yeah, from yeah and I guess that's true um but I I don't I don't know yeah I don't know if it is ness I mean I, I try to think of myself like could you thought of yourself when you were like 18 19 doing stand-up oh god no no what were you doing at 18 19 I was in engineering I was doing right. I was at Queens, Queens. I was doing engin- chemical engineering I thought Queens is where sorry Kingston Kingston okay. Ontario yeah uh, I thought I was going to be an engineer here's the thing like I always wanted like I always loved comedy uh yeah like you know when I was a kid I list my first album was Bill Cosby which not not <laughs> still as, your favorite album still uh you know what though I mean he's still a good comic <laughs> he's, he's not a good human but he's a good comic okay. Uh, but the thing is, yeah. Oh, by the way, like when I was given, my parents bought me a, a ghetto blaster. And, like you can choose. Now you're giving away your age. Ghetto blaster. Dude, Forty years old. Ghetto For blaster. anyone that's twenty years old listening to this, uh, can just explain what a ghetto blaster is quickly. <laughs> oh my god. Tapes. Do you guys remember tapes? Tapes. Yes. Uh, I, you know, somewhere between eight tracks and CDs. Or did tapes. you used to record the songs off the radio? I did. Yeah. I recorded songs off. The, I recorded comedy off the radio actually. Really? Because okay. they had. Um, 
they had this uh, show on uh, Chum FM, a uh, local radio station in Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, and it was called The Sunday Funnies. So I would listen to yeah. that every Sunday, and then I would record my favorite comedians and new comedians. Like, yeah. And almost basically based on like the first three seconds, I'd hear the sound of their voice, and I'd be like, oh, I think this is going to be funny, and I would hit record. And then it would be guys like Emo Phillips. Right. And uh, Bob Newhart, yep. um, Cosby, of course. Yep. Uh, just who else was around that time? Oh, Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright, yeah. Like these all funny voices. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I, so I have all these like comedy mixtapes at home. I should find them. Although I have no way to play them because that ghetto blaster broke a long yeah. time ago. Um, <laughs> so but yeah. So you so what? You're how old are you then? The eight, nine, ten? Oh, then I would have been. 12 maybe wow. 12 or 13. I know that uh like when I was given the choice of uh my parents going to the blaster like you get to have one tape. And so I was looking through all the tapes at I think it was a Gazellers or something, right. you know, where the lowest price is the law. And yeah. uh and I was choosing between Bill Cosby. Can you just explain to 20-year-old people what Zellers are? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Sears, but with a Z. Right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was uh, – I was choosing between uh, Bill Cosby and Corey Hart's Never Surrender. <laughs> Who's Corey? I don't know. Who that oh, my God. Is. Again, for the young yeah. people. Corey, he was a, was it Corey Hart? Yeah, it was Corey Hart. He was a singer. Like a he heart did, from? I guess. He had like a song called Never Surrender or I Wear My Sunglasses at Night. Was he just Canadian? I don't even know. But those are my choices. So okay. God knows what my life would have been had I chosen Corey Hart. <laughs> <laughs> but you went with Cosby? I went with Cosby. Uh, it was the best of uh, Bill mm-hmm. Cosby. Right. And uh, yeah, like, you know, the no, uh, his Noah bit, uh, like all the Brother Russell stuff, um, the track and field bit, which was incredible. Right. Um, yeah, and then I just fell in love with comedy. But I didn't really start doing it until my first first time i was ever on stage doing comedy i was 35. okay so let's go back a little bit then we'll get to that point so you're 12 years old you start yeah. listening to bill cosby yeah you like stand up yeah did you ever think in your head hey i want to do this because i always from a young age i always like comedy. my dad was always watching yeah. whatever stand up was on tv yeah um i always appreciate i remember being 12 years old loving yeah. loving stuff that like was pretty like if i think about it like pretty decent like i had a decent taste back then but mm-hmm. i never like there was stuff um like like british stuff there was a thing called uh the mary whitehouse experience okay. I, I don't know if you know david Badil. you ever heard no it's too british yeah, i think right british, yeah, yeah but there was like a lot of stuff there was like uh also like blackadder okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Towers, yeah, yeah all the sort of british that called yeah. stuff uh that my dad watched yeah, i loved um, abfab abfab yeah um there was that too um and there's a bunch of stand-ups billy Conley, uh hmm. tommy tiernan no, yeah, I think he was around later. I can't remember. Yeah. Okay. yeah, 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 yeah. He's Irish, so oh, okay. I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> right. The, yes, the, the, actually, yeah, yeah, it's always yeah, Scottish people. UK and the Irish have a thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I remember being 12, and this is why I want to ask, because I remember being 12 and loving comedy, mm-hmm. but I never once for the life of me would ever think that it was – I wouldn't even know that you could do it yeah. or where to do it or that is a possible thing that I could even – oh. Like, because I mean, I don't know about you, but my parents were definitely not creative types that pushed uh, the arts on me at all. And as I said in the last episode, the town that I came from growing up, yeah, was very against that kind of thing. There was very few people that were really, yeah. It was more like get a job yeah. in the factory, marry the girl that you went to school with, get yeah. a house, get into debt, and just stay yeah, there yeah. and just drink at the weekends. That was kind of my upbringing. So, I guess. Uh, do you, do you sort of relate to that kind of? Yeah, I mean, not the drinking and mm. the and the debt thing, because yeah. Asian. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but like you know, growing up as like a, again Asian, you know, like <laughs> comedian is never going to be one of the the options that you would ever be given in life. Like it's, you know, I mean, especially then as just even just as a kid, like you only think there's like three jobs yeah. in the world. There's like policeman, doctor, and astronaut. Like really, like those are the things, right? So like, I don't even think like engineer was a thing I even knew about when I was twelve. Yeah, you know. So then, um, but yeah. So it would never, never cross my. Plus, I was like painfully shy. Like I would okay. never want to go on stage. Really? Like we had uh, like school plays and stuff, and I was like, I want to be a tree in the background. Really? Like I do not want to sing. I don't want to like have any lines. I just, I'll paint sets, but I refuse 
to be in the spotlight. I don't want anybody to look at me or pay any attention to me. Which is, this is uh, unusual because you're an only child, right? Yeah. Which seems the only child that I ever meet, I've ever met are very the opposite of that. They're yeah. very attention seeking. So Yeah, it's funny actually because like, like some people are surprised I'm an only child, but then occasionally, like I'll say I'm an only child, people are like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." I'm like, "What the hell is that? That's never good." I'm like, "That's never a good thing." Yeah, I never heard anyone talk about an only child in a positive light. Yeah, it's, it's always just good. like, "It's like, oh, oh you're a bit of a dick. That's, <laughs> that's why you're such a prick." Yeah. I understand. Okay, got it. Um, so you, you got so I mean, you, so you didn't think you didn't, you never thought about being a performer, no. Um, and then you your school, I guess. You're going to be like classic Asian upbringing. Am I going to stereotype you by no, that actually, or not? No, I mean, it was, uh, you know, like by virtue of my parents being Asian, yeah, it's going to be like some Asian stuff. Like, you know, like I, I knew how to play, I played mahjong with my grandma, you know, that sort of thing, you know, Asian food, blah, 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 blah. But because my parents, um, they wanted me to fit in and stuff, right? So then, like my my childhood was like a, a like a mixture of like growing pains and like the Joybot Club. Okay. You know what I mean? Where did you grow up? You grew up in Toronto. I grew up in Marco. Oh, Marco. So okay. it's like north of Toronto, yes. like the suburbs where all the Jews and the Asians live. Yes. Uh, but like when I went, but when we moved there, it wasn't really well developed. Like it was still mostly farmland, right. and so actually just down the street there was um, there was a, a stables, like a horse stables, and I learned to ride horses. Like I was a competitive show jumper. Like it's the whitest <laughs> shit. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. That's an unusual hobby for anyone. Yeah. Let alone a young Asian kid in yeah. Markham. Yeah. But my parents would take the riding crop that I would use to hit the horses to make them go faster, and they would beat me with it if I ever <laughs> oh, really? if wow. I ever misbehave. So it's like the most Asian punishment with the, the, the whitest tool. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So they're in, in, installing discipline via the whip. They're actually cracking. <laughs> they're the whip, literally, literally cracking, cracking the, whip. the whip on me. Yeah. <laughs> and how old are you when you're doing show jumping? Oh, uh, yeah, like like 12, 13, okay. 14. Yeah. And you're so you're competitive. And how? What kind of level are we talking? National? Well, I mean, no, not not national. Or just like just local, local strutting around stuff. Markham, strutting around while jumping around. Strutting. We don't strut unless you're doing dressage. That's okay. for the dressage people. Okay, right. So yeah, oh, that's the next level of snobbery, is it? Yeah, dressage. dressage is a whole other thing. Yeah. Like, I used to date a girl who was like a dressage champion, like a national dressage champion. It's really? like. Yeah, like that stuff is is next level yeah. equestrianism. Did that? So, but um, did you? Uh, so you competed, but were you ever competing at a high level in terms of were you winning? Were you, or you just taking part? Or? I was just taking part right. for for horse stuff. I was taking part for I did gymnastics too, and okay. I was competing at that right. at, a, at a, a fairly high level. Like it got to the point where it's like you either go to school or you train for the Olympics. Right. So and my you, parents said school. For sure. Right. So you're uh, you like performing, yeah, but not uh, sort of entertaining. Was that kind of yeah, like, entertaining yeah. was never a thing. But you like I, being part of something. And, well, never thought of it as a career. Like I was yeah. like still class clownish, right. you know what I mean? But like yeah. it wasn't a thing that I want. Like it's not like I felt like this was a way I could make money. Yeah, as yeah, a yeah. practical Asian. Right. Yeah, um, and then you so you, yeah, your school, you're a show jumper. And then you leave to go to university. Yeah, and then you did engineering. Yep. What kind of engineering is it? Chemical. Chemical engineering. Yeah. I know nothing about chemical engineering. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> like, I just imagine it's a lot of, like, chemistry. And... No, actually. Uh, chemical engineers are, are really bad at chemistry. Uh, oh. Organic chemists are good at chemistry. What chemical engineers do is we take uh, raw materials that aren't worth a lot, and we design um, plants and systems and whatever and processes. It's primarily processes uh, to make that stuff worth more. Okay, I have no right? idea. So, like refining oil, for example. Okay. Right, you take this crude raw oil. Like that's like primarily where most chemical engineers go work. Like right. in oil, oil or so big money. Oh well, yeah, it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the thing with engineering is, uh, is it teaches solution, mm-hmm. uh, like problem solving. That's like this is the thing I find with like school. Right, it's like you don't leave school with any sort of knowledge. Really, like you know, yeah. like you leave some, but like it's mostly like you drink most of that away. But like, what you leave school with is a mindset. Like they teach you a way of thinking, like the knowledge itself. Like whenever you go to your job, you'll learn that knowledge for that you need to know for the job. Like even in school, like you know, like every all our tests were open book because they're like, well, in no real job are you going to have to re- remember all these equations like you can just open a book so that's going to be the same thing here however you he, this is the problem you have to solve right using all these equations so that that was the difference so it's really so that's the way 
that uh, we were taught to think and is actually very helpful for the stuff that came later in life, like from an artistic standpoint, because like joke writing is in some ways solving a puzzle. Yeah. Right. And then same thing with like screenplays and whatever. That's all just it's puzzle solving. And so you're taking all these different elements and you're trying to combine them in a way to make all those parts bigger than. It's interesting because you and our uh, mutual friend Joe Buha seem to have the same mathematical approach to stand up. Yeah. Where you're kind of like you can figure out mathematically how a joke's funny, which to you and I, I guess Joe. Uh, you may, you might have taught Joe how to do this, and that's what I'm assuming. But um, <laughs> I think we but, came at it independently. Well, I, that to me sounds like you're just taking the joy out of something. <laughs> like, no, it's fun though. Like, really? I, yeah. Like Joe and I, we have these great conversations about comedy, and we talk about like there's just certain like there's certain things that we've learned, like certain sort of fundamental aspects of it. Where and and it's, because the thing is this, like you have these like fundamentals um you know like uh like logic gaps for example just as like throwing one example out of a, a fundamental so like the thing that can make an audience laugh is creating a gap in logic that you force the audience to make that leap themselves to, to put those pieces together but you have to make sure that the gap is like the right distance because if it's too short then it doesn't really make them do any work and so it's not really satisfying for them but if it's too big they can't cross that gap they don't get the joke so you got to find like a gap that's just kind of just right for the particular subject that you're trying to talk about. So every joke you write is like an equation of for laughs. Well, I mean, at this point, like the the thing is, like we we think about this stuff, but it's internalized, right? So mm -hmm. we're not like sitting down and doing the math on the joke. It's like, does this? It's essentially, does this work or not? Does this compute? So, <laughs> so with that kind of mindset, can you write a joke now without taking it? out anywhere can you say i think this is going to work because the mathematics behind it there's no reason why it shouldn't does that make sense yes right. like i i would say but that's that's but it's kind of holistic right because it's not just that it's now it's like just years of experience yeah having been in front of audiences and kind of knowing how they react to things so you take all these different elements and put them together but yeah like a lot of times like i'll i'll write something and i'll be like yeah this is gonna work like i know this is gonna work and like typically when I'm like a hundred percent sure a joke's gonna work, it's gonna work. And has it ever not? Rarely. Rarely? Wow. Yeah. Well now, now, at the beginning, yeah. I was like, this is hilarious. Yeah. And I'd go out like, there's no way this is a crickets. Okay. And so then but then you learn from that, right? And so but but I will say, like the number of jokes where I'm on, like I've written them down where I'm like, oh for sure this is gonna work. There's not that many jokes where I'm like, oh, for sure, this is going to work. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's really more, I think this has, I, it's more like a probability, right, of this has a good chance of working. And then, but everything you got to test anyways, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So you think that the chemical engineering thing give you a good mindset for comedy and develop the skills necessary? I think it helped. I, think, I wouldn't say it would have hurt at yeah. all. Like, I think. Um, but I, I feel like, and again, this might be a stereotype of engineers as not being the most, uh, Humorous people. Is that, <laughs> there's, there's, a lot funny, there's a lot of funny engineers. Like here's the thing: like engineers are, are generally smart people. Like I are not, they like socially awkward nerds? That's well, what yeah. I imagine, right? Just sitting a lot around of them doing are, math puzzles. Well, we drink. We drank a lot. Okay. I guess. It, I mean, we're socially awkward just because we don't have time to go socialize. Like, you know, when we were in school, like our our work weeks were like sixty hours. I never worked as hard as I sure. did when I was in engineering. So how did you get into engineering then? So you, you go to school and you're, you're not thinking about engineering. It's not policeman or astronaut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Were you, was it for, was your hand forced by your parents a no, little bit? No, actually, and this is the, the irony of the whole thing, is my parents didn't think engineering was, was the right move. Really? Yeah, my mom was like, well, you like writing. Like, you like creative stuff. Like, you should be a journalist. <laughs> and here's my thing is, like, I was what 15 and, and an idiot and i didn't even know what journalism really was i was just like i don't want to go to a war zone my mom brings that up constantly she was like yeah you don't have to you, you just assume that was... that's what i assumed it was right I, I like journalism means now i'm a war correspondent right. you know and uh, she brings it up all the time to make fun of me and rightfully so because that's the dumbest thing so uh -huh. so your parents were were pushing you to what you they've you are doing now, but you, re of, you, re yeah. you rejected it. Well, they were pushing me towards something that was more creative, mm -hmm. but still a profession right. where I could succeed and actually... And you, you know, ignored it? 
I ignored it because I I was good at math. Yeah. I was good at science. Mm. I wanted to be, I like being creative. Yeah. Um, so I thought engineering would be that thing, like where there was like a certain level of problem solving creativity, but incorporating math and science. I was completely wrong. Engineering yeah. is extremely prescriptive. It's like, no, you got to do things this way because this is how it works. And yeah. if you don't do it this way, people will die. Oh God, <laughs> that sounds awful. Yeah. But so, that's how it is. But you said you were, your mom said you were writing in that thing? Like a writer? Yeah, oh, yeah. On I, your own? Yeah, I did a lot of creative writing when I was in high school. For any reason, just, or just like at school, or were you just at home just like I writing just stuff? I wrote, just because it was fun for me. Just writing stories? I wrote stories. I wrote, I wrote a novel. I wrote two novels when oh, I was, sure. uh, yeah. Wow, you still have them? I think so. Yeah, my parents actually. I didn't show anybody, and then my parents like found them on my computer and oh, then wow. printed them off and bound it. And I was actually so embarrassed. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I, fe I felt so violated. I was like, "No, this was mine. What are you doing?" <laughs> Give me this binder. And what I was, was like, the novel of it? It was a fantasy novel. Okay. Um, I'm trying to remember. It was based on a dream I had. But basically, essentially, I think there was like a family. They're like driving through like some midwestern town like some nowhere in midwestern town and they stop at this town to get gas and then and they find themselves unable to leave but they don't know why like just always like but something's always keeping them and then they have to uncover like sort of the 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 reason behind that all right okay well, that's crazy for a 15 year old to be writing novels for one yeah. but also for a 15 year old to be writing novels writing all the time and then sort of rejecting that as something that they'd want to do. You know, because I never thought it was something I could make money at. And that was a, a main I think, focus? Well, money? I or wanted... You, just, you grew up used to having a job that made money? Yeah, people, like people I, I, around, it just stuff. felt more practical right. to do engineering. Like I felt, because, you know, at the time, I think, like people kept talking about, oh, in the arts, there's no jobs. Yeah. Right? That's what you hear a lot. You hear that a lot. So I was just like, well, why would I to deliberately do something where there's going to be no jobs it's crazy that was something i was kind of talking uh, about myself on the first podcast but it was like when you're when i was younger at school and you show an interest in anything arty yeah that's the first thing people would do be like right well there's no jobs in being this there's no jobs yeah. in being that so why would you want to do it yeah so it's like this old school thing of like people aren't encouraging pursuing a passion that will create a joyous life for you right everyone's just concerned about creating money to live a miserable life so it doesn't actually make any sense but like that's how people thought yeah. back then and that it seems to be a common theme for people our age yeah their parents i think it maybe stems even back to like the war days when they're like so worried about yeah just stability and security and stuff yeah um, but but there's that saying right like we you know like like we study uh war so that our children can study you know science and then we study science so that our children can study art right and it just kind of goes from there like where you who's that said that cosby I forget. yeah it's <laughs> yeah, definitely cosby <laughs> uh, that was i think his fat albert yeah. uh, philosophy yeah yeah, yeah yeah um i don't know what did you take in school oh well see this is uh, i don't think i was very interested in languages art creative stuff i'm very good at um I don't know what they call it here, but it's like home economics cooking. Oh, okay. Which is ironic because that's yeah. kind of what I do. Um, but I remember when it came time to pick your subjects to do for exams, I don't know how they do it here, but basically when you get to a certain age, I think 13, 14, mm -hmm. you get to, so when you first do high school, you do all the subjects. Yeah. Everything. You try everything. Yeah. And then after a couple of years, you pick the ones you want to specialize in. Yeah. It's like start, right, okay. So when it comes to that point, like, I think it was, I, and I feel like my dad sort of pushed me into doing more like math, science, computing, physics, mm -hmm. because those were like, that's where you get a good job. Right. I sucked at all of those things, <laughs> like so bad. What and were I, you good at? Like home economics, I was great at cooking. Yeah. yeah. I was good at French. I was good at art. Yeah. Um, okay. And then uh, music as well. And then once that kind of got shut down. Yeah. I just never picked up again, really. Right. Like my, my friends, like we hung out, we'd, we'd uh, play bands and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. I, I, I was kind of like, you play an instrument? Uh, yeah, I play bass. Um, oh. Yeah, and uh, wow. I used to sing in a band. <laughs> I'm not a singer for sure, but uh, wait, what kind of music? Like like punk rock, Britpop, Britpop. Yeah, I was very much Britpop guy back in like, there. He's Blur Oasis. Blur. Kind of thing. Okay, yeah, got, yeah, it, yeah. got it. Got it. Got um, it. Like the male Spice Girls, but, uh, Spice Boys. That's you. 
no, no, I'll just ignore that you said that. Um, <laughs> but basically, and also like it was like Grunge Nirvana and stuff. It was around oh, that okay. time. I remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, God, I remember just playing in like school rock concerts. Me and my friends. It was awful. There's a video of that somewhere. Just there out is? of tune, just oh singing in tune. The basses at tune were just, uh, and people were going crazy. Uh, it was, it was Where a, is that video? I don't know. Uh, but I, well, also, is just side in, note to is this it in video, Scotland somewhere. We gotta go get that. Side note to this video. Yeah. As one of our uh, tech teachers. Um, like who taught like woodwork or whatever, he had the tape, he filmed it and gave it to someone and it got passed around. But this guy had in the middle of this school concert, it sort of goes in. You now, sometimes they used to tape something, yeah, and then it would show something else that was taped on that tape, yeah. Like it's so halfway through this rock <laughs> concert, there's just this really weird soft porn. <laughs> Like very soft porn, but like as a thirteen-year-old boy, we're like, wow. So this guy was passing it around the school, and then what happened was we all passed it around our friends because we wanted to see some tits. Nice. Um, so yeah, but I mean, I was lucky. I was and again. I said this because I was talking more about my background and how I got here in my first episode. But in the first episode, growing up, I was lucky to start hanging around with people who were a bit more creative, mm. like guys who like music guys or mm-hmm. art guys. Because I think I would have otherwise been mm-hmm. the other type of person, live in the small town, have the craft job, yeah, live my life, being miserable, and not do like just but just suppressing it until you die, pretty much, and just yeah, being unhappy yeah. and the thinking Brit- the British way, pretty much, right? And then <laughs> you know, um, um, so I was lucky to hang out with people like that. But even then, there was still like once I picked those subjects and was told, like my, it was kind of my dad's influence. I think he did it to my sister too. Mm. And she didn't like those subjects. I hated them all. I dropped them all, yeah. but I never thought I could pick up all yeah. the other stuff. So it kind of just like, was like saying to me, Oh, you can't do these. Cause these are stupid mm-hmm. and they don't get you a job. They don't get money. There's no worth in doing any of these. Yeah. It was never encouraged. It was like, no, this is, this is a good thing. Right. Yeah. You know, like even if there's no money, you'll be happy doing it. Right. Yeah. There's, so I think for even when I was playing in bands, my parents just did not understand that either. Yeah. It was like, so there was always part of me that felt silly yeah. doing it like, oh, this is just stupid because I had my parents' voice. Yeah. And not just even my parents. You, a lot of people, but were you guys good? No. Like, was that like was that part of it? Like, your parents were they like, oh, these guys are good. We should encourage this. Or versus, no, I don't oh, think even guys if we were, are I don't think even if we were good, they would have been encouraged. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because, um, like, I think... You know, I, I think like if I was a parent, and and like I, I and I had a child who was pursuing an art, and they just never got better at it. Mm. I, yeah, I mean, there's responsibility, and, and that's the only thing they were trying to do. Like, you know, they were living in my basement or something, and like that's all yeah. they're doing, and they're not good at it, and they're never going to make it. Like, I don't know. I think is there some responsibility as a parent to say something? I don't know. I don't know because it's. I, I thought about this recently because, like, we now are comedians. Yeah. So our mindset is completely different from like our parents and from back in the day. But sure. I'm sure, just as you even said, there's like, there's your mom and dad's voice saying, yeah. "Hey, maybe you should have something secure." But oh, yeah. there's also like, you know, maybe they're not getting good at, it, but maybe they're happy. Do you know what I mean, like, is money the the motivating factor in everything for people? I will say this because I worked as an engineer for so long and uh, my parents instilled in me a sense of, you know, financial pragmatism. Like I saved a lot and um, I can pursue this now and I don't have the pressure of, oh my God, if I don't make it, I'm going to starve to death. So when you started comedy, you had a bunch of money saved up? Yeah. When I started comedy, I already owned my house, I own a car, like I have all these things and I have money, like I have like, you know, a bit of a runway. So like if things go poorly... Yeah, which you, they you know they will because that's just art for a little while anyways like there's at least i don't have to worry about how am i going to eat yes how am i going to do this and that's because that's a whole different that just adds stress that i think yeah. would be very like i still get stressed about it because like i you know like I, i'm i'm doing okay but like i'm but like you know this is like one of my first years where i'm gonna have less money than when i started Yes. And that's a weird thing for me. But, and on a sort of like reverse sort of thing, you're probably doing better than you've ever done, but making less money. Is that right? Yeah. You you're like in terms of success, depending on what you see as success, right? you're starting to get noticed. You've just done the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. That's going to be airing on 
like next year. Yeah. So people are starting to know who you are. Yeah. You're getting offers offers of writing gigs. So right, you're you you've got your own sitcom that you're going to be pitching and stuff. So right now, nothing. There's potential for more money and earnings in the next few years. Absolutely. But right now, there's not. So technically, you're being successful, but yeah, money wise, you're not successful. Right. Which is but and that's, that, yeah, and that's fine. Like I'm okay with it because I'm not in any danger of losing my house or food or not being able to eat. You know what I mean? But I, I can understand for those who have only pursued this. And if this is a tough industry, you know, yeah. there's a lot of competition. And especially if you stay in Canada, there's not a lot of places to make money. Yeah. Because this is a small market. Like, you have to go to states. But just to go to states costs you $10,000. Where are you going to scrape that up? You and know then what I mean? you've got to go to a big market, which New York is already oversaturated. Exactly. So exactly. So, I mean, that's the thing. Like, if you're going to do, I mean, Toronto is an amazing comedy town. I mean, there's so many places to work out material. And I think a lot of the Toronto comedians who leave here, like, I would say Toronto is one of the top five comedy cities in North America. Yeah. And if you leave here and go to New York or LA with all this stuff that you've developed, if you're one of the strongest comedians in Toronto, I think you have a, you have a better than average chance of making it in yeah. LA or, or New York, depending on. You know, whatever the cultural zeitgeist at the time that you can't control, but at least you you're gonna have those chops. Yes, but that's um, that's interesting because as we were talking earlier about aging comedy, mm-hmm. right? That's where we kind of like well, I wanted to sort of get to at some point because yeah, you're forty, yeah, and you started doing stand up when you're thirty five, yeah, and at some point you may be thinking about going to LA, going to New York, maybe possibly, or does I have age, to yeah. does does your age ever worry you about like pursuing stuff or do you no. think about it or do you try not to think about it? Because... I try not to think about it but he, because thinking about it exhausts me. Exhausting, isn't it? Right? Yeah, like just the thought of having to go to LA and hustle the way you would need to hustle yeah, and compete against all these young kids. Yeah. Man, I, you know, it's tiring. Like even that, like just like going out, like, like now, like doing an open mic or hustling and sitting around for three hours to get a spot. Like, hey, I don't do that anymore. But like, ha- like having done that, like having to, because when you go to LA, you got to start over. Right? But you, you also have the very, this is what you're saying about, you had all the things like a house, yeah. job, uh, a car, savings. Yeah. When you first started comedy. Yeah. So if you were to move somewhere, you'd actually be. I'd have no, I'd be starting have nothing. From nothing. So you're not used to that life. So that's what scares you. If it, but if it you know, no, that's not what scares me. Like, I don't. I think I'm pretty adaptable in that regards. Like I think if I if my house was gone, I had to move to like an apartment. That's fine. I don't know where all the cats would go, but whatever. Mm. That's that's a whole yes. different thing. I mean, it's really more like uh, you know, like because I'm not alone in this life. Like I'm married, right? right? So like I can't just unilaterally make decisions. Yes. It's like, hey, I'm just going to move to LA now. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Or New York or whatever. And I would much prefer New York than LA, but my wife would want to move to LA as opposed to New York because she likes the beach. She likes mm. yes, oceans yes. and stuff like that. She likes warmth. Um, but, you know, but I hate LA. Like I hate, like I just yeah. don't like as a city. Like I, it's just a, it's too big. You got to drive everywhere. And it's just, I don't know. I've never had good experiences in LA. There's also like the, this is the thing I think about when I see people from Toronto move away. It's like, hey, if you're doing really well in Canada and you go to like LA and it's like, you're not doing well. It's yeah. like, when do you give up? Like, do you just spend another 10 years you're like yeah. struggling at a later age? Yeah. And that's the other, well, that I'm not so concerned about because that's just work and perseverance. And I'm not, that's not a thing that I'm like, oh, because I'm willing to put in the work. I'm willing to persevere. But then there's also good, you got to set limits too, right? So yeah, I guess that's one of the decisions they have to make. Like, you know, if you don't see any progress, what do you do? But again, I think the 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 key to that is just have a lot of different projects on the go and generate your own momentum. Like you sure. can't wait for other people to give you stuff. Sure. Right? So like, you know, I always want to have like three or four different projects on the go. And then if one thing fails, start up another one, right? But you take it as far as you can until, you know, and then eventually if while you're doing that, you're also, you know, improving your skills, your craft and all that stuff. Like, yeah, hopefully something will hit. I mean, it never, never does. Then it never does. Right. But, you know, is an interesting um, thing we're talking about off air was about ageism. Yeah. And life and comedy and just in general, mm-hmm. because we've made so many leaps and bounds in 
like being fair with everyone like there's leaps and bounds in like gender equality yeah. like diversity shows and then and tv shows and comedy and just but there is a point where like people are like oh you're too old for this for everything so but i don't think that ever really gets brought up like if you're 56 year, years old are you getting looked over for things that a 20 year old can do and is that fair well i mean it depends on the thing right yeah. there's obviously there's going to be things that were yeah you're going to have a 20 year old because you need that particular voice and there's going to be other things where you need the 50 year old like there's going to be roles for mark Marin and lewis black and and or like you know like uh, mike wilmot um yeah. like these great older comedians uh but there's always going to be somewhere a space for you know like jared carmichael yes and but those guys that you mentioned before are 30 40 years and seasoned professional famous comics yeah i'm talking about when you start at 50 start hey, at you start at 35 yeah 15 20 years in you're gonna be what 50 55 right trying to break in to something yeah that's in theory that, that could potentially happen it's like yeah. and people don't know who you are so that's yeah I, I think about that a lot which is try not to think about it because it makes you yeah go crazy in the head but it also is like when i think about life in general is like do i commit my life to this on the off chance that this is going to be a success or do i play it safe like my parents point of view or voice in the head where i'm like or just have a job where it's safe and you have a paycheck okay so what's the goal what's your goal then like right? when you're making that decision like what what's your metric for how you're making that decision like like when you're thinking when you're trying to decide between do i pursue this dream yeah. of art and do the thing that i that makes me happy or whatever like it doesn't always make you happy but do the thing that you know or do the safe route and get a job and just do what your parents did like and that's what, not gonna, what is the metric for you well that's the thing because you think you think about that is like if you go safe and get a job and just do well like maybe i'll be a manager of a restaurant or something sure, sure. i'd be so unhappy right i'd be so unhappy so is happiness your measurable yeah i'd be okay. unhappy i would also like i know in 20 years time i'd be like why did i not just right try yeah. at least try and fail yeah and it's all that's that's one thing that i've sort of got to recently in my life uh, now that i've stopped drinking is accepting failure and being okay with it because before i'd just be like oh well fuck it i'll just drink i'll not think about it right we'll just we'll just live our lives and if it's not going well we'll drink forget about the thing <laughs> keep going and that happened for 20 years yeah, i committed yeah, 20 yeah. years to doing that yeah so and then it's like turn out so well no and it didn't turn out so well so that's yeah look failure is good yeah don't be afraid of failing people should people yeah i mean that's i mean the more you're allowed to fail the better you'll become yeah i think you have to have a high tolerance for failure whenever in anything you do really and like in, even in engineering right like you, when you're building a product like you're gonna have a billion failures along the way the worst thing that can happen is it works immediately because now you don't know why yeah and when, when things go wrong now you're trying to figure out what happened right so it's good like to fail all the as you failure is the path to progression Right. So, but my thing going back to like making that decision between do I do the, you know the dream of art or do I play it safe? Like that was my choice. Yeah. Right. Um, and I had this career, and then I also, but I really love this new thing. And I think what it comes down to, and happiness is not the issue. Right. I am happier now, but that's not the point. Like ha that's a, just a byproduct. Yeah. Because happiness is not a thing that you can control. No, and also anything. once you get to whatever is your look, the goal, then there's always the next thing. It's never going to be precisely the end goal of happiness, and then you're fine and content. Yeah, my my thing is I don't do what makes me happy. I want to do what makes me great. Okay, interesting. And I know, like, go doing that other thing, the other job I was doing, I was good at it. I was never going to be great at it. Yeah. All right, because it's not something I really loved. It's not something I was passionate about. Yes. But I think comedy, if I keep putting in the work. And I, if I don't give up, I think I have a chance yeah. at being great at it. Yeah. You know, okay. maybe not until I'm 65, but I'll still look the same. So that's yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, so let's, uh, so you're, you're, you're an engineer mm -hmm. when you left university, how old were you? 22 or something? 22? Um, I finished my first degree when I was your first degree. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Not, not, I, I really doubled down on the whole engineering thing. Uh, I finished my first degree when I was 
20, 21. Right. And then I finished my second degree when I was about 23. Oh, wow. So I did a master's okay. in chemical engineering as well. And then you go out, and I'm guessing if you have a master's in chemical engineering, you're 23 years old. Yeah. You're probably in high demand. <laughs> no? Not really. Well, here's the thing. Like, so my ma- – well – so the reason I, I did the master's is because when I graduated the first time, I couldn't get a job. Right. I put out like 200 resumes. I called and bought, like just I hustled and yeah. nothing. So then um, uh, one of my professors in university, she was like, hey, I'm looking for a grad student to do something. And, and she was, and she actually taught the one course I was actually really interested in because most of the courses were just really, really boring. You know, like I don't care about fluid dynamics. I don't care about like key transfer and this, that, and the other thing. But this class was is environmental remediation. And I've always had a soft spot for like environmentalist issues, um, like present, like uh, animal, like wildlife preservation, that sort of thing. And this was about cleaning up the environment. And so she was like, "I need a grad student to do a master's in this field." And I was like, "Oh, that sounds great." So I was given a choice to either stay in Kingston and work with the RMC to create a project had to do with concrete walls and like releasing um, uh, like biological. Uh, additives to like clean up the, the environment, or move to Montreal and do a very uh, a pioneering project on on discovering whether or not certain kinds of bacteria can degrade uh, this particular type of contaminant called a polyaromatic hydrocarbon, okay. which you get in like uh, coal tar, uh, creosote. When you like when they coat railroads, like they, they, they you're looking at me like I'm supposed to understand. What no, I'm explaining, to you. <laughs> I'm explaining to you. I'm explaining to you. And then uh, and it was it was a pioneering project trying to determine like whether or not like we could. Uh, there was bacteria that was capable of doing that because if there was, then what you could do is you could add a lot of iron to the environment, which is cheap, and then that would stimulate these bacteria to clean up. So a lot of it was like, say, like uh, sediments in Hamilton Harbor, Sydney, the Sydney tar ponds, uh, that sort of thing. And um, and immediately right away, like I thought this was going to be like a, like I didn't know anything about it, but I was learning, and I, I didn't, and just I, all the stuff I ran into in terms of like the uh, the problems, it was crazy. Like um, like. The whole thing got off to like a, a year-long delay because I ran, I ran to an issue where the iron interfered with um, because the iron and DNA uh, have similar charges, so that interfered uh, with this particular process. I run later called a polymerase chain reaction, which is just something that amplifies DNA, so you can actually do stuff with it. So I had to the first year was spent trying to figure out how do I make this work, and it hadn't really been done before in this particular way. So like I was actually had to invent techniques to like. Um, which is actually finally that was actually what I was hoping for, right. in turn, even though it was really difficult. But that was like the creativity and like the right. the like the, the marriage of like science and creativity that I was hoping for. Yeah, and then what what was the point where you were just like, nah, I wanted to stand up. Um, I mean, when I got after fired. after hearing you <laughs> talk about chemical engineering, I can't see why you would ever want to quit it seems so interesting <laughs> <laughs> because of then they, so you get they, fired that's why so if i got laid off i got laid i've been laid off a bunch okay so would you say were you thinking about doing stand-up before you get laid off yes. were you still thinking about this the whole time you were doing i was already thing? doing stand-up at this point so what happened is like you know like i my entire career i've been lucky that i could do this but i designed my career about around work-life balance like i would like I straight up once told the president of my previous company, um, I said, look, if you're looking for somebody to put in like 60 hours a week, that's not going to be me. Right. Okay. Like I, I I'm going to do this work, you know, above the level that you want it done, but I'm also going to take time for myself because I need that balance. And he was, he was very respectful of that. Um, and so at the time I started as a writer, I wanted to be a screenwriter. And so I, I wrote a lot of screenplays. I learned how to, I taught myself how to write screenplays and, and this and that. And then so often things weren't getting made. Uh, we came close a few times. Like we had John Stamos attached to a project and then and then he went off and did Fuller House or whatever. Wow. Uh, and uh, But then nothing was getting made. So I was like, well, nobody's going to say my words. I have to say my words. So then I, I decided let's, let's do stand up and see if I can make okay. a name for myself doing stand-up because at this point I never thought I was going to leave that job mm. I thought I was going to be in that job forever whilst doing all these other things right. so I couldn't like quit my job and try to pursue writing the way I would have if I was in my early 20s yeah you know so stand-up was sort of like my back door to get back into writing to get into a writer's room okay and um and then yeah it was like I was probably doing stand-up for like 
two years when I got laid off. Maybe three. Yeah. Um, so how did you get in about stand-up then? Did you do a course? Nope. Did I you just went straight up to an open mic? did it, yeah. How did you, did you know people doing it? Or? Well, actually, uh, I got married. Yes. And my brother-in-law is a stand-up ah. in uh, Vancouver. Right. And uh, he's been doing it for a while. He's very funny. Um, and he, uh, he was running an open mic and I, at the, my job at the time allowed me to travel. So I would, I flew to Vancouver for work to see consultants, to see clients, whatever. But I was like, Hey, I'm here. Nobody knows me, but yeah. you're running an open mic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Perfect. And I got some time. He, so he gave me some time and I went and you had some stuff. I, I wrote it the night before Wow! and, uh, I called a buddy of mine who he was very excited that I was trying this. Yeah. Um, he was like one of my oldest friends and I, I, I read out, uh, the thing I was going to do. He gave me a few comments and then I went on stage and I did it. And here's the thing. Like I thought like my vision of open mics at the time, I was like, Oh, it's going to be a bunch of like dudes in a basement, just talking with their dicks. And it's going to be like real shitty comedy, which actually has become my experience since then. But yeah, for this particular, that's what exactly. That what yeah, yeah, yeah. But then for this particular, this particular open mic, a lot of pros just dropped in. Wow. Okay. So uh and i didn't know who they were at the time because it's like canadian professional comedians like nobody really knows who anybody is but like you know i had to follow k trev oh fuck yeah, yeah. so I, he goes up and he's just like you know with his booming yeah. man mountain comedy voice yeah. and he like does this hilarious story about doing drugs and sliding down a hill oh yeah That's so a great funny bit. great yeah, bit yeah, right yeah. and he was still just working it out at the time but oh my god it was so funny and i was just like what the fuck like who why what the hell like yeah. i gotta follow this and I did. I went up. I followed him, and people were very, um, you know, forgiving because it's my first time. Because yeah. they knew, and I was also like, and but it was also said I would never do it again because, like, uh, I actually wrote it specifically because my brother-in-law was hosting the show, and right. everybody loved him, right? So right. then I just made, I would talk about how I was like having sex with his sister and like, <laughs> and, and like some fetish stuff, and like, you know, like how I think uh, how did the joke go? It's just like. You know, like when you've been together as long as we have, because at the time, I think my wife and I have been together for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and we, I was just like, yeah, like, you know, when you've been together for 10 years, you don't even have to, like, ask anymore when you pee on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So, okay. Yeah, that's your sister I'm talking about. <laughs> Is that every punchline? That's your sister. That's your sister, <laughs> yeah. It's actually, I have the recording. It's There's a video. Hilarious. It would never see the light of day. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. you got to show me that sometime. Yeah, I will, I will. That's uh, not good. And then, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, you're a couple of years in. And as far as I remember, two, three years in, you do the Absolute competition. You win that. You yeah. improve your comic. Yeah. Start working, doing a bit for Absolute. Yeah. Last year, you just did the Winnipeg. You've yeah. done a bunch. So, you're, you're, you're on the up, 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 up. Yeah. So, what's uh, what's next? Um, you know, where, where do you see yourself? What's your plans? Like, what's your goals? Do you have, because you're... I mean, as I say, you're of a certain age. Mm. Uh, do you have <laughs> of a certain age? You man of a, a certain age. You're a man of a certain age. Yeah. Do you have goals? Do you are you you know? Would you are you think are are you worried about time constraints? Are you working harder to get things done quicker, or are you just just I, doing whatever's? You know, I do feel like I have more of a a deadline. Yeah, because death is closer for me than it is for others. Yeah, you know, like I'm well, twenty I mean, years behind. Yeah, really. yeah. So that's if you don't die. Yeah, I mean, I could literally you know, just walk. walk I could fall down the yeah. stairs the second I leave yeah. here. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, but there's things I want to say. There's things I want to. There's things I want to do, and like, and all that stuff requires a bit of a runway before I can take off. Yeah, you know. So I'm just, I'm just taxiing right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I want to have my own show. I want to create my own television show. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm working on like a whole bunch of different things. Like yep. I said before, you have to have a lot of irons in the fire cause you never yep. know what's going to hit, yep. you know? And if any one of these things hits, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Like I'm working on a musical. Well, I might be working on a musical. Yep. I'm working on uh, a radio show, TV show. And basically I want to generate my own momentum. Yeah. You know, I can't, you know, you can't rely on other, I mean, in this, in this country, there's, well, in just comedy in general, there's gatekeepers, right? And there's always going to be gatekeepers. But eventually, I want to get to the point where I've busted enough of those gates where I can kind of make my own. Yeah. And I feel business, like you, know? you can do that these days with uh, the internet and that's stuff the, like that. That's you can actually go do your own thing without yeah. needing anyone. 
and that's the great thing about now. Like sort of like distribution is no longer the barrier yeah. unless you want to be on TV. Yeah. Or that, but you can still get there if you can demonstrate that you there's a market for what you're doing for your particular brand of comedy. If you can prove you have a digital reach, you can you know, all these things, you know, when this podcast hits a million views. Yep. Uh, as it will. As it will. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. How yeah. about you, though? Like, well, that's that's what I was going to say, because we're coming up. I can only do one hour on this podcast thing here. How much time? So we're, we're almost at 50 minutes. Okay. So the the point of this podcast really was, like, talk to you a little bit, but also, like, is me, the whole point of this podcast is me trying to figure out yeah. what the fuck I'm doing, right? right. And right. basically... One of the things I have in my life right now is like, as I say, I'm 37, not 29. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, now I'm, I'm a lot more worried for you than I was. Yeah, I know. Now you're ago. looking at me a lot closer. Like, <laughs> fuck you. Yeah. But what would you say to me or anyone like kind of like want to start something at a later age and kind of like a little fearful of it? Like, mm. and kind of like if it's like to put the image in your head as like, I'm dipping my toe in to the water but i want to just fucking jump in head first but i'm a little like apprehensive so i mean i always think oh, i'm a too old and if i got anything to say what you know like you know what what advice would you give someone who's starting out like this second age or just to me in general just uh someone who has no idea like you've always kind of had an idea of writing and creating and you've always had an idea of who you are and what you're doing and by the sounds of things where you want to go in your life and you've been very confident and determined to do it and when you do it you go full in and you do it very well by the sounds of things right yeah still you learning know, i mean you're rolling your eyes but you are right <laughs> you know like you're very successful in terms of compared to, to compared to me anyway right you're very right but like who, who isn't right but yeah so that my worry is like oh, I'm 37. The most age is like the fuck. Should I be doing stand up? Should I not? Should I take a, a job more back of the house of that where age isn't important? Is age important? Am I thinking about this too much? Right. Um, so yeah, you're probably like, thinking about it too much. But oh. at the same time, it's it's. I think it's valuable to think about that. I mean, that's why I am doing this stuff where I'm trying to create shows and stuff where I will have like producer roles, like for myself, and where like. And being a creator of a show, like you can make money and not have to be in the front and not have to worry about how I look in front of the camera, not worry about how I look on stage. Because you're right, that is a thing. Like, you know, part of comedy is image, right? That being said, uh, A, I didn't even know you were 37, so that's good. Uh, and, and you know what, and you're funny, mm. right? And you do have things to say. Yeah. You know, you do have a perspective on things, you know, like as a recovering alcoholic, as like somebody trying to find themselves in their late 30s like i feel like that's relatable yeah and i think a lot of people would benefit from hearing your perspective on these things so i would obviously encourage you to keep doing it and i think at the end of the day you know just no half measures man if you're gonna do it commit yeah you know that's the one problem that i have is uh in my whole life i haven't committed to anything yeah and disciplined everything so this is where i'm not like commitment and discipline this is what i say to myself when there's like but well, i'm not going to commit and go fully in and, and go hard yeah then what's the point and then the days i don't do that then i'm like well, what the fuck am i doing yeah. if i'm not doing this so it's like we talked about this a few days ago it was like i gotta kind of be hard on myself yeah but be also a little like nice to myself but yeah but i gotta be harder than what it would be if i was 20 yes i can't be like well you got a few years to fuck around and figure no. it out i i can't do that i don't have that none of us really grace. do to be honest yeah but um <laughs> yeah i just you know that's the struggle i have is with the commitment and this one i love comedy i think about it non-stop yeah. i do it non-stop when i have bad days and so I that go seems to comedy, fairly committed yeah it's just the the fear is the fear of commitment yeah to yeah. The thing, to yeah the fear of the rejection the fear of maybe being successful the fear of it not working the fear of everything and yeah. it's this first time in my life that i've ever had to do something that i'm actually maybe good at and yeah. i also don't have an excuse of drinking or partying <laughs> to sort of like make me not committed to it right there's no yeah i mean none of that stuff i mean you're you're worried about stuff that may or may never happen right exactly. so like that you're just like letting that stuff live in your head rent free like exactly you're paying interest <laughs> on uh on a bill before it's due yeah you know it's, so like just 
don't I mean, it's, it's easy to say, don't worry about it. I mean, uh, for people who are naturally warriors, it's, I mean, that's me saying, don't worry about it is not really helpful. No. But, uh, you know, I would say, you know, in terms of doing the work, you know, it's just break it down into smaller bits. I don't worry about like, oh, am I going to get this festival? Am I going to get that? I'm going to get this. Gonna ha- I worry about the next line I write. I worry about the next word. Mm. I worry about that because that's the only thing I can control. And at the end of the day, it's not about if you if you keep looking at your life in terms of results, it's not going to go well because you can't control that. What you can control is your choices. And what you're saying is basically you only concentrate on the present. Yeah. Well, with an eye to the with, future. Uh, with an eye to the future. And but to the like past. To learn. Yeah. But really what you're doing right now in that moment, yeah. instead of cutting it off by thinking of the bigger picture before you even do anything. I would say I spend like 90% of my time in the present. Yeah. I, I don't think you can just exist solely in the present because that's not – yeah smart <laughs> 90 percent is quite a high number that's uh i feel like i spend 90 percent in the past and the future yeah, so yeah, like 10 yeah. percent. so that's uh <laughs> maybe that's a podcast for another time yeah yeah um but yeah i think that uh any final thoughts on that because we've got a couple more minutes we've got maybe five minutes if you um, anything else yeah i would i would tell to you that. to not give up man yeah because i think i think thank you're you good thank you i think uh you know I think you have things to say and yeah. I would uh, be happy to help you say them. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Any you. Any way I can. Um, yeah. Even though I'm 37 slash 38. That's okay. Am I too old? I mean, know? now I'm a little bit more. You're not going to cast me in your sitcom anymore because I'm. Oh, no. I can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We still need old people. Old people like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, that's been an awesome podcast. Um, thanks for being the first guest on the podcast. Thanks for Point of me. this podcast is for doing something to create and not give up. So mm-hmm. I hope that anyone listening, if anyone is listening, um, that is helpful because it's been helpful for me. And uh, check, I'll, where can we check you out? Is there anything coming up soon? It's not going to be released till probably November. You got anything <laughs> okay. interesting coming up? Um, Pro- yeah, I mean, there's little shows here and there. November, okay. I'll be uh, back at Absolute in, uh, in Toronto and Kingston. And, right. uh, and those will be like Christmas shows. Yeah, I'll post, uh, I'll post all your stuff, your yeah. social media stuff on the right. thing. So if anyone wants to check it later, maybe I'll post a video of your first ever stand-up set. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I like fans. I don't want to lose them. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Lara Chan. And uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, I've been John Austin. Uh, have a nice day. Bye. Bye.